Good morning. As always, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, I am glad that we serve the God that we serve. I am glad that God is God and that he is God all alone. With the God we serve, there is never TMI. You, you, you ever heard those initials? Uh, you know, TMI means too much information. Uh, you know, quite often when we ask how you're doing, people give us TMI because how you're doing doesn't really mean I want to know how you're doing. It's a matter of courtesy. How you're doing really means I'm just saying hi to be polite, uh, but I don't necessarily want to know all your sorrows and sadnesses. Uh, and even if I do know how you're doing, it doesn't guarantee that I will be sympathetic or that I can be empathetic. But isn't it good to know that there is a God that knows me and my situation better than I do? A God who is ready, willing, and able to be my rock, sword, and shield. Thus I cast my witness with that of the psalmist in Psalm 31, 7. Uh, he declares, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble Thou hast known my soul in adversities. Uh, there's just a wealth of what the psalmist says there, but God knows us in our adversity. And not only does he know, but he is also able. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. want to uh, acknowledge, I, I know uh, the, the uh, brother who has... Uh, uh, I forget what it's called. I'm having one of those call to call to worship. Thank you. I heard somebody say it. I'm having one of those pre-senior moments. Uh, we'll come after the sermon and uh, acknowledge those who are visiting with us. But but every now and then we have some folk who all of our visitors are special. They just happen to be special to me in a special special way. So we won't want everybody to know that you're special. Uh, but we have visiting with us uh, this morning. Uh, Tim and Susan Ellerby and their family, and while we are saddened by the occasion of their visit, it's just sure good to see them again. Uh, Susan, her siblings, and I uh, grew up uh, together at the Central Congregation in Baltimore, and Tim is one of the few people that, even though I met him a long time ago, I remember the first time I met him. Uh, they, they are just good people. They are uh, good soldiers in the Lord's army. Just good to see them and glad to have them with us uh, in our audience this morning. We want to direct your attention this morning to John chapter 11. Uh, my wife asked me as we were sitting there, she said, I thought last Sunday was the last sermon uh, from John chapter 11. I told her if I said that, then I misspoke. Uh, so now I'm going to try to remember this Sunday is the last Sunday, for a little while anyway. Uh, anything in the Bible is fair game, but, but we've been looking this month at John chapter 11. Uh, we want to look there at John chapter 11 again uh, at verse number 35, where the Bible says quite succinctly, Jesus wept. Based on the account here in John chapter 11, we want to use this morning 
uh, as a title for the sermon, Why Jesus Wept. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in John chapter 11, this verse is known more for its brevity than its conveyance. And I find that rather ironic because though it is a short verse, it says a great deal. John 11.35 is known as the shortest verse in the Bible. And it is, in fact, the shortest verse in English translations. However, in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament, that distinction belongs to another verse. John chapter 11, verse 35 in the Greek is Edokrusen Hathias, Jesus wept. Sixteen letters, if you count them. But 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 is Pantote Kirate, rejoice evermore. Fourteen letters in the Greek alphabet, if you count them. So if you ever play in trivia in the Greek language and, and they ask what's the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, then you know the answer is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. When we look at John chapter 11, the account before us concerning Martha, Mary, and Lazarus declares to us that our plan is not necessarily God's plan. You remember Mary and Martha had a plan. They sent word to Jesus saying, get here quick. We are able to determine what their plan was by what they both said to Jesus when he finally got there. Lord, if you had been here... My brother had not died. One of the challenges of being a child of God is to embrace, and not just intellectually, but to embrace as a matter of faith that God's plan, even when I don't know what his plan is, is always better than mine. John says simply in verse number 35 that Jesus wept. And I believe that we all appreciate to say that someone cried can be somewhat of a generic statement. There are both different degrees of intensity and different reasons for shedding tears. In our language, to say that someone was teary-eyed conveys an altogether different thought than to say they were boo-hooing. Boo-hooing is just different from teary-eyed. You know, teary-eyed, you might see a tear here or there, But boo-hooing me, man, I just lost it all together. When we look at the Bible text, the words used to indicate that Jesus wept convey different ideas. We are told in Luke 19, verse 41, that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But the word in uh, Luke 19, verse 41, is different from the word in John 11, verse 35. The word in Luke 19, verse 41, translates a word which indicates that Jesus cried and lamented over the fate of a rebellious people and nation who would seal their own doom by instigating his death on the cross. Luke 19, 41 says that Jesus boo-hooed. But John 11, verse 35, is a different word that indicates silent tears of sympathy for Martha and Mary. Oh, he cried, but it wasn't the same kind of crying that it was in in Luke 19, verse 41. Uh, There is 
a great sense of emotion indicated by verse number 35. Now, now let me put you on hold for a moment. It, it, it's usually the case when we see an incident, we don't see all that can be seen or appreciate all that is going on. Have you ever seen something happen and then you get details later on and it lends a little more clarity to what you saw? I believe many times when we read the Bible, sometimes we read, but, but then we come back later and, and we pick up some details that give a little more clarity to what we may have read on, on an earlier occasion. When we look at uh, John's gospel, he regularly uses the term the Jews, not so much as a designation of their ethnic origin, but also as an indication of the unbelieving Jews who were enemies of Jesus. Now, I don't necessarily need to go outside of John chapter 11. If you look at, at uh, verse number 8, John 11 verse 8, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. And goest thou thither again? Now, that didn't mean the entire Jewish nation wanted to stone him. But there were some in particular who happened to be Jewish people, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who were just the enemies of Jesus. And John often uses the term the Jews not to refer to the nation, but to a smaller group of those individuals. In John chapter 7 and verse number 1, the Bible says, after these things, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. And again, the idea is not that all of the Jews wanted to kill him, but that there was a particular segment of the people that were against him. Now, this is the context that John is using the term in chapter 11. Now, now how do we know this? Well, in the, in the words of Bruno Mars, if you don't believe me, just watch. The, the, the portion of the text that, that we have selected this morning finds us in midstream of the event. Jesus has already encountered Martha, and Martha has already said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. And then Mary comes out to meet him in verse number 32, and Mary says the same thing. If you had been here, my brother had not died. But now here's where we want to see some other things that, that, that don't necessarily jump out at you in the text. When we look at verses 33 and 38, uh, the King James says Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Maybe the translation you're reading from has the word indignant. And, and it begs to question, what was Jesus in, indignant or even angry about? Most scholars are of the mind that, that uh, Jesus was disturbed by the prospect of death and, and sin and all the trouble that it uh, uh, brings in our living. I just find it interesting that both times the Bible says that he uh, uh, groaned and was troubled, that the term the Jews seems to be in the immediate vicinity. Notice in verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping. Now, Mary is shed shedding genuine tears uh, uh, of sorrow because her brother has died. But then it says, and the Jews also weeping which came with her. Now, these the enemies of Jesus weeping with Mary. You know, everybody that goes to a funeral doesn't cry because they're sad. 
Some people cry because it's the thing you do at a funeral. Now, if you read the account here in John chapter 11, notice they accuse Jesus a little bit later. You know, if he opened the eyes of the blind man, couldn't he have saved this man from dying too? And the clear implication is he didn't do it because he couldn't. Well, why would you say such a thing? Because we're his enemies. We don't like the fact that this man portrays himself as being something more than he is, the son of a carpenter, you know, a, a member of a nondescript family. In, in verse 38, you see there, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And, and again, I just find it interesting that, that he groaned in himself, right after verse 37, where you have the evil accusation of the Jews, his enemies. And I said all of that to say that there's a lot more going on than what is readily apparent in a cursory reading. You remember the disciples said, are you going back uh, over there and the Jews are trying to stone you? So, so it's not just about raising Lazarus. You've got to face your enemies when you get over there. And, and then you've got to deal with Mary and Martha and, and their loss. And then you've got to deal with the hypocrisy uh, of your enemy. There is so much going on in life that quite often we miss. You know, have you ever wondered in the day all that God sees? And I know he doesn't see more than he can deal with. But has it ever dawned on us that there's more going on in life than just my life? And maybe what God is doing, he's doing because there's more going on in the world than just my life. That there are people asking things of God other than just me. And sometimes what we ask may be contradictory. You know, if he grants everybody everything they ask, none of us would be uh, satisfied because sometimes we're asking for different things. When we look at John chapter 11... Again, verse 35 simply says, Jesus wept. And again, we have the statements in verses 21 and 32 from Martha and Mary. If you had been here, my brother had not died. I submit to you, number one this morning, that Jesus wept because of their doubt. Now, now I, I, I get that we have more, interest, uh, more information in retrospect than they did. And I try to appreciate what the emotion of the moment can do to one's thought process. But, but hear what Jesus said in, in verse number 40. Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. I, I, I know you're hurting, but, but part of the reason you're hurting is because you're slow to hear what I'm telling you. Now, now I get, you, you know, we don't have perfect understanding every time the Lord says something to us. But, but uh, uh, appreciate, if they had embraced what Jesus said, the experience would have been a little different. Unless we look down on Mary and Martha, I, I believe that in principle we do what they did. You know, we will assert faith in God with great things and then manifest doubt in, in lesser things. Now, now, what do you mean, preach? We will say, you know, that just as a matter of fact, God created the universe. You know, we'll even cite Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, do you know what we're saying when we say that? Well, we're saying that I believe that God stood up in the nothingness of eternity and made something from nothing. Now, that's what we're saying, as a matter of fact. He stood up in the nothingness of eternity 
and made something from nothing. And then we worry about God blessing me. Now, now, if he stood up in the nothingness of eternity and made something from nothing, then why am I worried about him blessing me? I, I should think it's harder to make something from nothing than it is to provide something from the something I already created. If I believe God did the greater thing, then why am I worried about the lesser thing? Martha declared that she believed Jesus could raise Lazarus in the last day. In verse 24, she says, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. By which time Lazarus would not only be dead, he'd also be dust. But you believe he can raise him back from the dust. But you worried about the smell coming from a cave if they roll the stone away. Sometimes we say we believe the greater thing, but then we worry about the lesser thing. And appreciate doubt handicaps us. In Mark 9 and verse number 23 in your Bibles, uh, uh, Jesus says there, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. We sometimes doubt God with the lesser things, but say we believe the greater things. But, but God's will for helping us is contingent upon our faith. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. I, I'm trying to help you, Martha and Mary, but you've got to trust what I'm telling you. And now you don't always understand what I'm saying, but believe me because I am who I am. We don't always know how God is going to work out all the details of our living, but the details are God's job. I just need to know God, and I need to trust that God will do what he says. But not only did Jesus weep because of their doubt, but look with me at verse 33 there. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, I believe that Jesus also wept because of their despair. The pain of others can be worse than one's own pain. Ask any parent that's seen their child suffer if this isn't the case. If you have children, if your child is sick, you'd rather be sick yourself than have your child be sick. It's harder to watch my child struggle with something than it is for me to struggle with something. Now, now I've learned I'm not Superman. I can't take care of myself. But it's harder for me to watch my children struggle with something than it is for me to struggle with it myself. When we look at not just this text here in John chapter 11, but, but also throughout Scripture, I believe one of the things that ought to jump out at us is that God does not desire that we suffer or are burdened. It is hard on God to watch us suffer. It is hard on God to watch us deal with burdens. Do you remember the great invitation of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in spirit. Uh, uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It, it, God doesn't want us to suffer. Now, he may allow suffering in our lives, but it's never suffering for the sake of suffering. When we look at John chapter 11, the account before us was not about Lazarus dying. You remember back in verse 4, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. Now, he's going to die, but I already have that covered. 
See, he, he's going to die because I'm going to allow it to be so. Now, I could go stop him from dying right now. I don't even have to go over there. I could speak a word and he'd be all right. But, but I'm doing something, and, and I need you all to go through the details to learn the something because you can't learn everything in a classroom setting. In the same way, we have to be open to the possibility that God is working on a larger scale in our sufferings, but he's always worthy of my trust. Lord, have you ever been there? Lord, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. Well, well, that, that's okay because that's not a requisite for, for entering into heaven. You don't have to know all the whys about everything that's going on in life. You just have to trust me. You need to stay faithful to my word, faithful to my will. I'll handle the details. But what does Peter tell us, 1 Peter 5, verse 7? He says, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Now, how many people can you say you can cast all of your care on them? Everybody don't want you casting all of their care on them. When we ask you how you doing, I don't even necessarily want to know how you doing, much less you cast all your care on me. You know, why don't you take your wet blanket somewhere else? I, I know we're supposed to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. But, but you know, we all carry uh, some sorrows. We all carry some hardship. But God invites us, bring every burden you have to me. Every hardship, every doubt, bring it all to me. Why? Because I care for you. And not only do I care for you, but I'm able to care for you. See, see caring about you is one thing, but being able to care for you is another one altogether. And then last this morning, in verse number 36, the Bible says, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. I believe that Jesus wept because of his devotion. Now, mind you, in verse number 36, the Jews misunderstood Jesus' tears. Jesus was not crying because Lazarus was dead. Jesus already knew that he was going to wake Lazarus from that sleep. Now, I get the Bible says back in verse 5, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And certainly, when somebody you care for passes, that's a time for tears. But see, but when you are God in the flesh, and you already know how this one is going to play out, I'm not crying because Lazarus died. As we said last week, he died, but he's not dead, dead. I mean, he, he, now, he's going to die again after this, but right now, he's not dead. He said to the apostle, he's asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. Jesus had full knowledge from the beginning. Uh, when, when the message was delivered, Jesus didn't weep then. You know, he, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. Well, Jesus knew he was going to die then, but he didn't cry there. Why? Because it's not about Lazarus dying. It's more about me loving you, Mary and Martha, and seeing you two cry. And when people you care about cry, then you cry with them. You know, that's one of those, we have a command, but you don't necessarily need it. You know, if I care about you, if you hurt, then I hurt. You ever go to a funeral and maybe you didn't know the person, but you experienced some sadness. Why? Because you hurt and I hurt for you. Jesus hurt for Mary and Martha. But he knew all along he would, what he would do. But because he cared for them so deeply, it hurt to watch them hurt. You know, I don't know if we get that when we read Scripture. God is not devoid of emotion. 
Now, he's the almighty God. He's the omniscient God. He's the omnipresent God. But he's not devoid of emotion. In a much different case than the one here in John chapter 11, you remember Genesis chapter 6? Genesis 6, 6 says that God was grieved by what he saw when he looked at the world in Noah's day. Grieved by what he saw. Not, not just unhappy that man was sinning, but grieved. It hurt God to watch man squander his life. It, it hurt God to see man following a destructive path. Uh, again, just kind of like your children. Yeah, yeah, your, your children ever just make bad decisions and you just kind of sit there, oh, well, that's your choice, it's your life. Now, because you are my child, it hurts me to see you make unwise decisions. Maybe young people, when they warn you about that person you're just so in love with, they might know what they're talking about. And sometimes they know because you're about to make a mistake they made. See, we don't know everything because we're smart. Sometimes you've learned from experience. But we can, through sin, cause God pain. Because when you care, the well-being of others matters. And God desires the best for us, and he is moved by our pain. You know, sometimes when we want to question God, you know, why am I going through this? Why are you allowing them? Maybe we ought to stop and think. God doesn't take any pleasure out of seeing me struggle. But what God allows, he always allows for a necessary reason. Sometime I may be going through what I'm going through because I'm determined I wouldn't learn it in the classroom. God says, well, if you won't learn it in the classroom, sometime you have to learn it through life. Sometime it might not even be about me. You remember Job? It wasn't really about Job. Job was just going to be a blessing to others. But what God allows needs to be. Yeah, he wept because he wasn't just God in the flesh. He was also human. And he experienced life on the same level that we do. Life has its sunshine and its rain, its mountains and its valleys. And in order to appreciate our experience, God became what we are so that he could understand. You ever talk to somebody and you see, you don't understand what I'm saying. You know, you never had that conversation with God. You never talk to God and see, Lord, you don't know what it's like to have people turn on you. Lord, you don't know what it's like to, to, to feel bad. Lord, you don't know what it's like to have people lie on you. Whatever we go through, he took on flesh so that he could relate. And he weeps because he sees our struggles and he cares about us. Do you know that's why God invites us into the uh, uh, body of Christ in the first place? Because I care. You know, he doesn't become more God than he, than he was because we are saved. All that God is with us, he would still be without us. But he invites us to be part of the spiritual family because he loves us. You know what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why he weeps, because he loves the world. It brings God no pleasure to see people suffer, to tread the wide and broad path that leads to destruction, 
because he loves the world. And he invites us to be reconciled in the person of Christ Jesus. He calls us to hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried but raised on the third day for our justification. We must believe that very fact, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must be willing to turn from sin, turn and live life according to the word and will of God. Make the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. And when we go down into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins and dwells us with his spirit, and he adds us to the church. And he does all of that and yet requires that we live obediently to his will because he cares. He cares about our well-being and, above all, our well-being, spiritually speaking. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to respond to the invitation or you want the church to pray for you. And if either of these are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.